Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the 15 Minute Coffee podcast. My name is Alan O'Donovan and I'm your host. Today's episode is part 2 of our podcast with Dr. John Gruda. Dr. John is an assistant professor in organizational behavior at Maynooth University. If you haven't listened to part 1 of our conversation, I'd recommend you go back and listen now as it was a very interesting episode. If you're new around here, it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. So, without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. I mentioned previously I uh, love the title of the paper, but um, going through your work, a lot of your papers seem to have uh, an element of humor within the title. So a few examples would be don't go chasing narcissists and my tweets bring all the traits to the yard. So great. Uh, (laughs) But do you find that these titles are more effective in engaging your readers? And is it important for you that your work is engaging for everyone, including the general public? Yes. And yes. Next question. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah. So the, the, the short answer is yes. So I do think that um, the title is, the most important part of the paper, actually, and uh, this is something that was is, is not my epiphany, but it is uh, something that was told to me by um, uh, when I was a master student, and we were about to write our, our master dissertation, our master thesis, and uh, we had a seminar with a PhD student who was he, he was giving that seminar for that particular class. Mm-hmm. Uh, this PhD student is now the dean of uh, of a, a very well-known um, business school, uh, ASCP uh, Europe, which was is my alma mater uh, in, in Berlin. So, uh, and I, I've 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 already done a shout out to him on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, he 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 told us back then, and you know this was like over ten years ago, uh, that what's the most important part of your of your thesis? And people had different ideas, like abstract, the content, the data, and mm. he's like, nope, 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 it's title because if the title is boring. I don't want to read it. Even mm. if you force me to read it, like I have to, I mean, obviously we all have to read certain things that we don't necessarily want to read, um, yeah. in, in, including in our work. So that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to love what uh, I'm about to read um, in, in general, right? So if yeah. you can make the title enticing, uh, interesting, a little bit, like you said, an element of humor, then I do believe that that has, uh, that increases the engagement from the readers. There was a study that was uh, recently conducted. I think it's a preprint. It's not fully published yet. Not by myself or anyone I know, but it's a very good study that looked at uh, whether humor, having humor in paper titles actually increases the chance of success uh, of that work. And success is measured in terms of people that cite your work, so your yeah. citations. And they do find that um, this is actually the case. So it doesn't have to be hilarious, but uh a an element of humor and i tend to want to go for song titles um so i think of i, I think of uh, a, a song title uh, which is hard to do sometimes and then uh try to change it around so that it fits you know and it does have to be descriptive of the actual paper yeah. so yeah obviously the the title has to reflect what you've actually done so mm. yeah and i do think that that uh that is something that engages uh, readers including the ones from the general public who as scientists we oftentimes forget that this is actually this is the this is our community actually this is the people that we are talking to or we should be talking to it's not amongst ourselves uh, but it is about the public because how else mm. do you think you can Im- inform public policy if no one is reading your work right yeah yeah so yeah. um so that, that that's something important and i think we 
Um, I think a lot of us know this, but I think it, it just makes it a little bit easier to interact with uh, with the paper if the title is at least a little yeah. bit inviting. It's sort of that human sort of thing of if if, if something's exactly. if something's entertained, you're gonna be more attracted yeah. to it. Yeah. Exactly. So moving on to another one of you, I, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of Dr. John from all his papers I've I've read through, <laughs> but. Uh, so another one of your papers uh, researches how the COVID pandemic affected extroverts and introverts differently. So mm-hmm. what are the major distinguishing features of extroversion and introversion? And how do you find the pandemic affected each of these differently? Yeah, so uh, let me let me pick up uh, on the last, last question. Just asked, so how did yeah. the pandemic affect each of these personality types? There is no such thing as a personality type. So okay. um, there is... Uh, which is like, I'm not calling you out on this. It's just, no, 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 no. Say this. Uh, it's just um, that there is a misconception, I think, um, yeah. that uh, you're either one or the other. You're either an extrovert or an introvert. But that's not how mm. it works. So how it works is that people have different degrees of extroversion. So you might be more extroverted than myself, or I might be less extroverted than somebody else. But it doesn't mean that I'm an extrovert or an introvert. It mm. just means that in general, you know, the, regardless of uh, the context or regardless of the mood and emotion that I'm feeling in the moment, uh, I might have a natural preference for more extroverted, more social, outgoing kind of behavior versus uh, less of that behavior. So what we thought about very early on in the pandemic, I remember I, I, um, I called my colleague, and this was um, also with Dr. Ojo, that paper, um, yeah. on... Uh, I remember I called and was like, wouldn't it be fun if we look at whether this is actually the case? Because a lot of people were saying, call your extroverted friends, they're suffering uh, because they can't meet and so on. And what we found was, um, again, using machine learning uh, and Twitter data, we looked at the the differences between how the crisis, the onset of the crisis affected uh, people who score higher in extroversion and people who score lower in extroversion, for short, calling them extroverts versus introverts. And yeah. uh, what we do find is that uh, there's two ways of interpreting this, actually. So extroverts in general, they, they report lower anxiety than introverts, just in general, regardless of the crisis. Mm. And, um, and we do find that that is the case pre-COVID. So uh, introverts are much higher anxiety than extroverts. And then the, the crisis starts. The, the pandemic is officially declared a pandemic, 11th of March. And then you see this, this spike, this increase over time the, of the extroverts' anxiety. So over time, Extroverts certainly reported higher uh, increased anxiety than introverts because the introverts were already anxious, yeah, already yeah. Anx- more anxious than extroverts. It's, it's a higher general. base level, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. one way of interpreting this is to say, yes, the crisis affected extroverts uh, more, but that took time. It wasn't immediate, like you know, spike mm. in the data on the on the 12th of March. No, it took time because this was, you know, obviously new to most of us. Uh, yeah. We didn't really know what's going on. We were told, I remember, you know, 12 weeks, you can come back in the office in 12 weeks, sorry, 12 weeks, two weeks, yeah. two weeks yeah. time, just two weeks, so this whole thing will blow over. Right. And then two years later, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah. but the introverts had a buffer, so to speak, because they were already anxious, uh, more anxious than the extroverts. They had a buffer, you can say, so they were more buffered by the effects of the crisis. Um, in terms of the spike of the anxiety that we see, Straight and then away, after, yeah. yeah, after day a hundred or so, um, 
then there was no more distinction uh, be between um, extroverts and introverts anxiety. They were both equally anxious or statistically there was no difference between them. So as the crisis unfolded and 100 days is roughly three months into the crisis, um, we were all anxious. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 funny. It's 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 um it's it's interesting how you say it. it's it's more of a spectrum than a a black and white sort of thing, which I I've never even thought exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly that. So it's a spectrum. It is not uh, a category. And um, obviously, you can be more extroverted and less extroverted depending on the context, depending how tired you are, depending yeah. what emotion you're feeling in the moment. You know, some people think, for example, that extroverts are fantastic networkers because they love being around people and so on. And that is the case. They're very, they're, it comes more naturally to them. But it doesn't mean mm. that uh, you cannot be a great network. A lot of networkers, the really good networkers are introverts. They will tell you, yeah. I don't want to be around people most of the time. I like you know, staying home, watching a movie just by myself or with my family or just reading a book uh, some quiet yeah. time. But they can be excellent networkers for yeah. a period of time. It's just that they are probably not the ones that are going to be still there at the after party. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But yeah. the extroverts will. So they sort of, they push themselves rather than enjoy it. Yeah, so they might not derive energy from being around mm. other people, but it doesn't mean they cannot be very successful uh, in yeah. that um, as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's a spectrum for sure. Um, so I suppose moving on a small bit, um, does... Does your research and research we've talked about um, into personality, leadership, etc., give you a, a sort of self-awareness in your personal life? And do you apply the findings of your work to uh, your life, uh, business life or personal life? Or do you find it's only applicable in organizations? You know, so I, I don't think it's only applicable to organizations. Um, I, I do think that the one benefit of being... A researcher and, and researching these these elements that we are confronted with on a daily basis, personality, leadership, etc., anxiety as well, is uh, just a a much higher degree of self awareness. Mm. Um, so in, in terms of in terms of myself being aware of how much I actually don't know about mm. the other person that I'm talking to, or about how this other person might actually be feeling, or yeah. you know, uh, obviously uh, assuming this is not you know, my, uh, my wife or anybody that I know really of well. Of course, of course, of course. So, so in that case, um, yes. So it's just, a, it's, it has taught me to be a little bit uh, less, you know, projecting onto other people, which is what we yeah. do all the time. So we, we like to, we like simple things. We like categorize people. We like boxes and we like putting people into those boxes. Uh, yeah. And so um, that's how we live our lives, and, and that's perfectly human, which mm. doesn't mean it's it's reality. So we don't know how this other person is feeling. They might be very, you know, you might be interacting with somebody. You're driving to work, and you stop to get a coffee, right? And you interact with somebody, and they they come across as very well, you know, cross or rude to you. And instead of being really frustrated, uh, you know, you can think about, well, I don't know what's going on in this person's life currently. I don't know, maybe they had a really bad morning or they have you know, a family member they need to take care of or whatever it is. There's yeah. some um, additional burden on their life. And maybe this is why they're behaving the way they are. Maybe this is not who they are in general. Mm. So mm. it gives you a little bit of that perspective, but it's incredibly, incredibly hard to uh, apply 
the things that we, we can give really good advice as human yeah. beings, but to take our own advice and implement it in our own lives, we are just consistently blind to that. Uh, yeah. And we constantly think that, no, no, but this is different in my case. Yes, yeah. this is what I would tell my best friend, but in my case, it's different. So you really should treat um, yourself like you would treat your best friend. So yeah. your best friend, so I'm not saying your friend, I'm saying your best friend. So, mm. you know, sometimes you have to be brutally honest with yourself and say, this was not right. He didn't handle that well. Yeah. Right. Uh, that, that was not that was just not good in terms of how you behaved with to, towards this other person. It could be anything, a performance review, you know, just a chat with colleagues. Uh, yeah. And um, so I do try, is what I'm trying to say, but uh, yeah. it, it is incredibly hard. Uh, and, it's... and it's good to have people in your life that call you out on it as well. So to have mm. friends, uh, to have a partner that say, uh, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's right. So, it's, that, it's that sort of accountability that we always seem to find hard, that personal accountability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But first, in order to hold yourself accountable, you need to first of all be able to see that there is something exactly, exactly, that, that, exactly. Yeah, that requires that. Yeah, yeah. So we talk talk a bit a bit more about um, your your career and 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 I suppose academia. So lecturing isn't very. It's not a career that's talked about very often, or I find it's not. But um, yeah, no, you're right. If a student if a student came to you telling you they'd like to get into academia or lecturing. What would you tell them, and what do you find is the most rewarding part of of your your role? Uh, well, this has actually happened, which is I think a good sign. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> this has happened a, a few times. Um, so I think that um, to me, it's the right career uh, for me. Mm. I'm not saying it's the right career for everybody, but um, to me, it is uh, because um, I think there is maybe a um, there is an I think the, the problem is um, one of the reasons why it's not talked about a lot, I think is because in, uh, in a lot of, um, well, in the UK and in Ireland, um, it's called to be a lecturer or a senior lecturer, right? Um, yeah. And I think there is, um, there is a, a, a misconception there because people think without knowing much about it that, oh, you're a lecturer, so you lecture. Like this yeah. is what you do primarily which is not yeah. the case actually. Um, mm. So what is the case is that uh, it's equally split between um, uh, research and, uh, and lecturing, which means teaching. And yeah. then there's also the element of service, uh, service to the university. So um, in fact, the research uh, is why I went into this career. It is not mm. because of teaching or because of service which doesn't mean that I don't enjoy teaching. I do very much enjoy teaching uh, because it also allows you to, whenever you have to teach something, which is I try to teach my own research um, as well, it, you need, it forces yourself to frame things differently. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like how can I explain this to somebody who doesn't know about all the other papers, for example, that I've read that mm. make sense of, can make sense of this one piece of work. And that challenges you and it makes you better in terms of uh, it's just practice in terms of how you think and to be more concise with your with your thoughts and, and then to, to write those down as well. So I do think there is a uh, there's a, you know, a bidirectionality, if you will, between yeah, yeah. Uh, research and teaching. But it is the research bit that at least I, uh, you know, that's the reason why I went into this career. And that's the most rewarding part of yeah. work is. You know, I have every once in a while, I'm confronted with uh, a problem. Like I have a research question in my mind, something I want to 
find out whether it's the case or not. And I might get my, my, my hands on some data, um, either from a colleague or I find some publicly accessible data sets online. And then I have what my wife calls this data phase for about three days, which is like, she used to, this was pre-crisis where she would come home and I was, she would see me sitting on the couch and she's like, data, data problem? I'm like, yeah. Uh, and then so, uh, you know, I just don't know in that moment, like, how do I solve this? You know, how, yeah. what kind of analysis should I use? And, and most of the time it's something I've never done before. So uh, that usually lasts for a few days. And then mm. um, what solves it is talking to other people. So yeah. uh, talking to colleagues and people who are, uh, mentors and friends of mine who are much more established and have gone through maybe not the exact same problem, but at least this type of problem in the past. So that is that is very rewarding to me. And then actually sitting down and when you crack it, you know, when you're like, oh, this is how you do it. Yeah. And yeah. then you run the code and that that short moment, usually it's very short depending on how much data you have, uh, where it's computing and then you're hoping that is it really like I thought it's going to be, or do I not find anything, or do I find something completely unexpected? Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. The that's anticipation. the moment that I, yeah, the anticipation exactly. So that's the moment that I live for uh, when it comes to uh, research, like just just knowing, just before the knowing, basically, uh, <laughs> before the confirmations. Like, is it so, or is it different? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's where the dopamine's hitting you. That's that's when you get it. Yeah. Um, I actually touched on a point there about collaboration and I, I, I remember when I was in college and I, I found that one thing that I saw in academia and in uh, researchers is the collaboration is so apparent um, between sort of professors and, and uh, in, in academia in general. Um, but I, yeah. I think it's, it's something that could be brought more into, into business and organizations more because I, now that I've gone out into the world, it's, it's something I see less. Mm. it's just a point but um yeah no it's an important point but uh, but you know obviously it's not it's not that black and white so um, of course of course there, there is a lot of uh there i can tell you many cases of um the, the vast majority of the cases are indeed collaborative and people mm. wanting to help people you've never met and you write them an email it's like you worked on something really cool um can you share the data with me or you know something like that because i'm working on this other problem uh and it's similar so in the, most cases, the response is positive. So as yeah. in, I mean, it's either positive or you don't hear anything back, uh, which is yeah. still fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. People are busy, but uh, it's not always like that. So sometimes it's, um, you know, it's much more competitive and they say, uh, no, I can't share that because we're actually working on something similar. So, you know, then, then it's not about collaboration, which is totally fine. Okay. Okay, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's just, you know, we're all human. And so mm. it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Some industry will be more competitive than others. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think it is about building your own network of collaborators, um, which is the, the autonomy and the freedom that is given mm. to you as a, as a lecturer or uh, as a, it's known in, in other Anglo-Saxon countries as a, as a professor, right? Because the difference between a lecturer and a professor, just the word itself, is yeah. a lecturer lectures, a professor professes. So it's like okay. this is this is the new knowledge, and I need okay. to share it with you. You know, um, yeah. so slight difference, but in any case, uh, yes, it's certainly about collaboration. I wouldn't be yeah. in this position that I am today. I wouldn't have had no. the success I've had in the past without uh, all the collaborators that I've worked with. So. Yeah, I suppose it's it's like you said, it's it's finding finding a network of collaborators who you can you can count on. 
Yeah, exactly. And building it yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So final question. Uh, this one we ask everyone. Um, so what does success look like to you? How do you yeah. measure success in your business and personal life? And do you consider yourself a success right now? It's a big question. Um, <laughs> so in terms of... That's why I finished with of, Yeah, right. Exactly, right. Uh, the, the best, uh, keep the best for last. Um, exactly. I would say that um, I, I do measure success um, primarily in aspects that have actually nothing to do with work. Um, mm. But more on personal life, uh, in terms of my family, and, and, and in terms of, you know, I was I was raised with um, the, the three values that I was raised with, uh, which you might argue in terms of the the order of them, okay, uh, might be up for okay. debate. But it was it was okay. health, family, and then work. So yeah. in these are in, in that order. So if you if you're not healthy, you know, then you you can't uh, help anyone else, yeah. and uh, you need to um, put your family. Uh, ahead of work um, and uh, and be there for the people that, that care for you. Uh, and so uh, I would say in, in terms of, you know, business and personal, the personal certainly outweighs the business part. Within yeah. um, the business aspect, I do consider myself successful right now in terms of knowing enough now that I know what I don't know. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, and knowing that uh, based on prior successes, I do believe, and it's, a, and it's a belief, it's not very scientific, but it's a belief mm. that, uh, that actually, you know, any question, any struggle can be solved. Uh, but it has to be, you know, you do need to, at least for myself, I do need to involve other people in this. Um, so I do reach out to people that know more than me. Uh, and are more established than myself in order to mm. grow myself. So I think if you, the question about measuring success, I think it's about constantly growing and uh, learning, developing. And so I do believe I've reached a point now in my career where I can say that whatever happens next, uh, I look forward to it. Like I'm not you know, yeah. afraid of it. Like it's going to be whatever it is. It's going to be, it might be good, it might be bad. But in any case, um, I'm excited to see how it all works out, uh, and what there's there's thousands of questions waiting to be asked, yeah, and yeah. thousands of probably ten thousands of of answers waiting to be uh, found and to be researched. So, I think I have my work cut out for me uh, for <laughs> the next few decades. You better you better uh, get back so, to work now, John. You better get back to work. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I should, I should. So, so I think, um, yeah, I'm I'm positive, uh, cautiously. Um, optimistic uh about um you know looking at whatever comes next in terms of career so yeah i do think um you know once you reach a certain threshold where you're not i think that constantly questioning yourself that will continue um yeah. and i think that is what makes uh successful people the, the success that they are that they have and that they embody uh mm -hmm. it's because they constantly do that and as long as you keep learning keep developing keep growing you know i think if that's your if that's your goal if that's what you're doing you're a success already yeah you, you won't go too far around yeah exactly well i appreciate that that was an absolute pleasure uh thanks for coming on um i know oh, you're a busy fantastic. man so no well, thanks so much for the invitation and uh, apologies because i know i know that went over um <laughs> the usual oh, 15 minutes that. no no we'll 
we'll, yeah. we'll make it a two-parter and it'll be it'll be it'll be great we'll, we'll separate it all right so thanks a lot john i really appreciate it no problem at all pleasure absolute pleasure Thank mm-hmm. you.